Yeah, today we're going to talk about real estate cycles. You know, it really impacts how you finance your building and and what choices you make depending on where we are in the cycle. Welcome to The Landscape, the new GSP podcast. We're excited you're here. You can find The Landscape on Spotify, iTunes, and other platforms that carry podcasts. I'm here with David Pascal. Hello. My co-host and our special guest today is Brian Schaefer, Managing Director and Partner here at George Smith Partners. And I'll let Brian introduce the topic for today. Yeah, today we're gonna to talk about real estate cycles. You know, it really impacts how you finance your building and, and what choices you make depending on where we are in the cycle. And the Fed just said today that they don't think inflation normalizes until 2025. So it's, it's really important for people to understand real estate cycles and how to survive them. Because what I found over the last you know 30 some years is the companies that survive one or two cycles go on to prosper, but a lot of companies get wiped out in the negative part of the cycle. Great. Sounds important, you know, relevant to our audience. Mm -hmm. We, uh, you know, here at George Smith Partners, obviously we're in the game of financing commercial real estate. And so we see a wide swath of clients that come through. So let's, let's open it up. David, you want to hit us, hit Brian here with the first question? Uh, I'll ask this, Brian. Uh, when do you think we'll see a little more, when do you think transaction volume will pick up? Right now, I think we're going through a period in the commercial real estate market of price discovery. Uh, what, do you, what do you see on that? It's an interesting question. I have a lot of clients that are out purchasing stuff and you know, there, there's deals here in Los Angeles that were selling, let's look at multifamily, that were say 350 a unit a year ago. And some of those deals are trading for 250 a unit today. So there is some movement in the market, but it's not widespread. And it was a deal that some of my clients looked at in Houston that was um, a, a foreclosure by a lender on a Fannie Mae deal. And basically, um, you know, everybody thought you know, there's all these funds out there, they're going to jump on it. But really, one of the MES players inside the deal took it over before it hit any of the public mm -hmm. forums, before anybody could market it. And they brought in new cash and took over the deal, kicked out the sponsor. So really, what we're seeing is there's still enough capital on the sidelines for the distress that's out there to absorb it. And there are deals happening, but it's not widespread. So mm -hmm. it's we're not seeing widespread price reductions. I can't show you any examples of any markets where we're seeing major drops in value, but we're starting to see on the, the outskirts, the mm -hmm. guys that weren't good operators that didn't probably shouldn't have been in those deals to begin with are having trouble. We are seeing more activity on the construction side. And, and on that side, people are selling deals and lenders are trying to sell their notes on a lot of deals because they got in and now they're upside down mm -hmm. the construction. But on real cash flowing assets, you know, it's, it's hard to see when the discovery is going to happen. My guess is mid next year. Mm -hmm. so, so let me ask a question specific to this. I think what you're saying is, yes, there's a tremendous amount of capital on the sidelines, but at present, many of the distressed deals are being handled by close to the best parties or internal parties. And so- Yeah, it's not hitting the market yet. There, it, it's, there's not any market for distressed properties. Nobody's getting at those assets and getting a lot of money out for distress. It's just, there's deals happening on the sidelines where one or two deals were going the wrong direction. And, and you have that in any market, but you're seeing more of it now. Like you, 
you know, a year ago, if you were selling these same properties, you'd be fifty to a hundred thousand dollars higher, even if they were per unit, even if they were um, not distressed. Uh, at least that's what we're seeing in the market, or I'm seeing the market. Okay. I think another thing we're seeing is it's it's getting you know very product type specific. I mean, obviously there's the office overhang, and we'll discuss that. But right now we're seeing buyers for you know. Um, Class B apartments, well-performing, uh, grocery-anchored retail, industrial in the supply chain are possibly overpaying a little bit, a little bit of flight to quality. And the riskier assets right now are going to be the not-so-good retail, the big-box retail uh, office. And so we're kind of getting into, a, you know, not a bifurcated state, but we're gonna have maybe two types of buyers, people preserving capital, flight to quality on the things I said, and then the risk takers really looking for that basis drop on troubled assets, which now, hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. And it's interesting because there, there's a lot of people that were entering the private lending space, hoping to capitalize on mm -hmm. that, that big drop. And, and I haven't seen them really be able to get money out on those deals either. But at the same time, on office, it is extraordinarily difficult to get. There's a few, you know, CMBS mm -hmm. and bond lenders that are mm -hmm. lending on it, but it's really tough to get a loan on office period. So not only do you not have that many buyers or the pool's different, but you also, you just don't have any capital on the lending side. You have a liquidity side. issue, yeah. yeah, on the lending side. And, and uh, you know, with the recent distress in banks, we're seeing a lot of the shadow lenders, it's shadow banking lenders come out and I think what's really been uh, significant was the recent sale of the PacWestern loan portfolio to uh, Kennedy Tangle. Wilson. Yeah, and you are seeing, you know, these the the shadow banking unregulated funds taking over lending. Now, you know that is taking a space away from what was the regional banks that are now in trouble. But it's not going to be so simple because regional banks always had access to the Fed's ultra low cost of money, except when Powell puts the brakes on. But the shadow banks like the debt funds, they don't have access to the Fed window. So ironically, they're going to be reliant on bank lines, but perhaps those bank lines, those banks will be better secured and lower leverage, and, lower leverage and also doing the business that they should be doing, which is lending very short floating and not lending fixed and longer. And so I don't know what kind of, if it's a magic bullet or not, but we're seeing that. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And what we found in cycle after cycle is the guys that are able to do that and buy those bank loans at, at some you know discount mm -hmm. have been able to prosper for those long-term. I mean, it gets back to what we were saying, like, each cycle is really a holding cycle. Like mm -hmm. I worked for the RTC when I was 22 years old. Um, that was predecessor to sort of the FDIC and mm -hmm. taking over all these savings and loans. And what we found is at, at the very end of the cycle, the RTC securitized all the bad assets. Mm -hmm. They had put all the bad ones in one section and these are the ones they were never gonna make any money from. And sure enough, they securitized them, held them for 10 years, and the federal government made a profit off of those loans. So mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that what um, Kennedy Wilson is seeing and, and these debt funds will be able to do is if they can hold on, if they can stay 
financed well enough themselves that they can prosper in the future because these assets will go up in value, but it's all about the cycle. Mm -hmm. The staying power. The staying power. Right, and, and I think that's where office is diverging because many other property types are just gonna go up and down with the economy, yeah. but office might get left behind because there's been a secular shift in American workers. We don't need to go into that in detail right now, but so that's kind of the wild card here. Yeah, no, for sure. It's gonna be really interesting to see how it all plays out. And, and each cycle is always different, but it, it is all about staying power at the end. And you know, maybe we should say stay till 25, but <laughs> right. it's, it's really about trying to stay and have that money and make the right decisions today so you have enough money. Like I, I, I sometimes have clients you know, say, oh, you know, they want 8%. I'm not yeah. going to refinance this deal and pull out $10 million. And then three months later, they have huge problems because they don't have that $10 million. So, I mean, I, I think it's really important for people to think about the cycle and do anything possible to add to their staying power, even if it's a little bit more expensive than they want to pay. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, and let's look at, we're looking at this chart. Maybe we'll put it up. Uh, this is maturing U.S. property loans. This has been highly publicized, Brian. We've got the 1.5 trillion of maturities from now until the end of 2025. But what's what's interesting here is 26 and 27 are still huge. You know the you know huge volume, which shows that we're yeah. in a cycle of three to five year loans right now, uh, maybe seven to ten year loans going back. And these are all hitting this wall. And who's going to take these out? Is you know we know that lenders, especially banks, are reluctant to take over properties because they're not, you know, they're not set up to do that. How do you see a little? You know, I know not you won't have all the answers, but how are banks? What is give, give us like because you had all the the experience in the RTC and at at your previous employer. Um, what, what, what do you see the banks doing here? They can't I mean, kick the can, what, tell me. I, I think a lot of times they're just gonna stay on the sidelines and, and try and, you know, sort of stay alive as well. Mm -hmm. And, and they're, they're trying not to make big moves. They're trying not to put new money into commercial real estate. And what they're really trying to do is just hold their portfolio, figure out ways that they could keep lending and, and try and edge up the amount that they're getting in on their investments because a lot of them, have huge chunks of their portfolio or are locked in for the next two or three years at three and a half, four percent. Mm -hmm. And you know, market rates are substantially higher than that and their borrowers are starting to want more money to leave deposits there. And so it really does mean tough times for some of these banks, especially the smaller regional banks. Mm -hmm. We're hoping that the bigger banks, you know, the chases of the world and the Wells Fargo step mm -hmm. in because mm -hmm. they are well capitalized and they do have lending power, but they've chosen not to be super active on the commercial real estate side this cycle. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's it's interesting with everything coming in because as we look at refinances, and I'm sure both of you guys are seeing this, is that most refinances today are cash neutral or cash in. Right. There's very few cash out transactions. Mm -hmm. So you look at this wall of loans that were made um, you know, five or 10 years ago, they're all gonna be either cash neutral or cash in, and most mm -hmm. of them are gonna be cash in. and. People are going to be left with that decision that they make every cycle. Do I put 
money into this property that's at or below value or do I walk away mm-hmm. and it'll be interesting to see what people decide. What's ironic there is probably when these loans were made, there was a nice little cash right. out. Yeah. But that money's been spent. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and these were the, you know, like 2015 was one of my best years here at GSP mm-hmm. and Me there were too. a ton of loans done in that year. Yeah. That we were, you know, 2013, 14, we were sort of gapping up. Right. 2015, that confidence was coming back that right. we were in a strong instinct. recovery. Yeah. And um, and we really grew strong until 2018. And mm-hmm. then 2019 was, I think, the company's best year ever. And then COVID and all the other things happened. Mm-hmm. So so let's, let's talk a little bit about the capital available. Mm-hmm. We, we touched on it earlier, but let's talk about, let's put this into like the terms of our clients. Our clients mm-hmm. are generally realist commercial real estate sponsors you know so if you're a commercial real estate sponsor let's talk about some advice specific to that Mm -hmm. you know we're seeing a lot of transactions and deal flow you know a lot of folks with maturing loans or there's a lot of folks with construction projects that cost more than they expected due to interest rate increases through covid etc so you know, let's talk about capital availability, what we're seeing people do to shore themselves up, to give themselves the staying power. Now, David, you wanna take the first part of that? Yeah, I'll, I'll take, you know, I think this is really gonna get down to, you know, not just the sector of lenders, but lender by lender, market by market, meaning what is the lender's exposure now? Are they overexposed in office? Or, and maybe another lender in the same field did a bunch of industrial loans. I'm just trying to, you know, like yeah, from a sure. 30,000 foot. And that industrial, the, the lender who lent on industrial, who's getting payoffs, et cetera, is gonna have fresh powder and might want to lend even on an office right. at the new basis. And so, you know, we might have this, you know, this bifurcation of lenders, you know, as the, it all depends on what's in their portfolio now. On CMBS, I think there's an interesting story here. I think that they're, you know, we've now kind of went through this office, like purge that that at least where office is now changing. We're gonna have to change a little bit of that, but I'll start again. On CMBS, I think we might have an interesting market approaching. Uh, There's a CMBS 3.0 or 4.0, whatever we're in now, means only 20% of any pool can have office in it. And bond buyers are pretty happy with that in recent months because they know they're only getting the best low leverage office. And then the rest of it, you know, industrial, self-storage, apartments, good retail, a lot of it. And so, you know, so there still might be pools and CMBS lending that might restart again. Meanwhile, though, you're gonna have distressed distress amongst the old pools that were originated in 2013 to 2015 with a ton of office and retail in them. But the the lender today, and that's the beauty of CMBS or the curse of CMBS, is the lenders aren't affected because that's gonna be handled by bond buyers and servicers. So, you know, we might see- But again, pull that back to the- Pull that back to our clients. Like, yeah. what does that mean for me as a real estate sponsor? What, what it means is, I mean, I would say is you need to thoroughly investigate each sector. Like you need to understand what what CMBS will do, what banks will do, what 
what debt funds will do right now and and have a good capital advisor, if I may plug our services right here, that is talking to these lenders every day, knows what's being sold, what's being paid off, and who has fresh powder and for what product type. And I, and I would add to that, I, I think it's really important, and, and you're right, David, I mean, yeah. you, uh, individual doesn't have the ability to go out and do all these things. They're not in the market every day like we are. But the other thing that that's really important is that they they focus in on what's available and what will work at that time, and they do it because we don't know what's going to be available tomorrow. So if the CMBS market is doing loans and you can get a loan done on your property that works, I would highly recommend you get it done and, and close because what we find is people delay. Oh, I don't want to pay seven and a half percent for a perm loan. I'm going to wait, and then all of a sudden that becomes 9% and they can't do anything and they lose the property. So or I mean, I think time is really important. Yeah. All right, so, okay, that makes good sense. Um, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, a specific deal. Like if you if someone comes to you with a specific deal and they're, you know, need to recap some equity or bring in a slot of wedge capital, you know, what's the market for that right now? And how, like, what is the, how, how do people best utilize that? You know, it, it's really figuring out the deal and, and what type of lender or fund that deal would work for. So, um, you know, and, and I'd say right now, multifamily and industrial are the most active. Mm -hmm. And um, there's still a lot of lenders out there wanting to do investments in, in those property types. Uh, on multifamily especially, you know, we found people filling that gap. So if you're having a cash and refinance, there's a bunch of new Mez guys that will now pop into that spot and even do it as preferred equity. And, you know, it's still not that expensive. You're, you're talking probably 12 to 13% probably. And when you put that in the terms of the whole loan, if you're getting a say five and a half to 6% whole in rate, right. you know, you're probably at seven on the whole capital stack and that's a really right. good structure still. So what about developers? We have a lot of developer clients here, folks who build from the ground up. You know, what about guys who are, who have, you know, a relatively high basis in their land because they bought yeah. it at a time when they were underwriting to a four and a quarter exit cap or whatnot. And and now we're looking at exit cap rates. We don't know because there's not been a ton of pricing, but right. you know, certainly a spread to the, the long-term yields. So that would probably put it in the mid fives, right? For a lot of right. stuff. Right. So what advice would you have for developers right now that, that are uncapitalized? In projects and how it, do they? I'd say it's very, very tough market for developers. You know, you're facing higher interest rates, higher interest reserves, and a higher exit cap rate on the test. So it's going to be harder. And and what I I think projects that work today are ones where you can control the cost. So I mean that that should really be the focus. Is you need you can't go in with a super high priced, you know, contractor and and huge expenses. Don't bank on revenue. Only. Yeah, don't bank on revenue only. I mean, you, you's really, you have to, you know, like I'm finding clients that self-perform, like, yep. you know, concrete is a huge thing for most developers. And if they can self-perform on concrete, they can save enough to right. make up that gap and make the project viable. But somebody that's just contracting everything out to third parties, mm -hmm. doesn't have any super expertise at cost savings, it's not a good time to develop because they're, the margins are so thin with the higher rates. Do you yeah, agree I, I mean, I would say, 
you need to have that local expertise. We're working with the borrower right now who's building apartments in the Inland Empire. They are setting up a warehouse mm -hmm. hub near them, completely stocked with all the supply chain items like the electrical panels. They're pre-buying everything. So they're being very proactive. It can't be the old days like right. you're saying, where you just call up the guys with the trucks when you're starting and go, hey, let's start ordering, we're building now. I mean, you need to be almost pre-done before you start as far as buying out. And you need to understand your cost of capital. So hyper-focus yeah. on cost. Yeah, and yeah. even my, it's interesting, my client in Houston is doing the exact same thing and they're actually even offering the third-party services to buy appliances and buy all these things mm -hmm. because during COVID it became really difficult to buy in high quantity and, and the and cost went still. way up and these contractors are still ripping off the developers. Mm -hmm. And so the developers are having to make moves that they would have never made before. They're they're gonna have to warehouse goods and services and, and it's all about saving costs. So that, I think that's really what they have to have in their mind is whether it's developing it a little bit different, however they do it, they have to be really cost focused. I will say though, in the last couple of weeks, you know, we're working on a number of ground up developments, debt and equity. And we've seen that demand has picked up in the capital market mm -hmm. recently. I, I think that there's, you know, if we think about it, we're halfway through the year, allocations and, you know, people have capital raised into funds. And what I think people are recognizing is that there's not necessarily, like you talked about at the beginning, a giant wall of distress to capture that capital mm -hmm. right now. And so we are seeing, at least I am, I don't know if you guys yeah. corroborate this, but. Yeah, I feel the same way. And, and I also feel like there's some lenders, like when we were at um, the Mortgage Banking Association meeting in um, February, a lot of groups were announcing they're gonna start making construction loans and those groups are now coming online. So it, there's probably a three month lag from them announcing they're doing it to mm -hmm. actually doing it. But there's a lot of brand new groups that are coming in and lending, you know, and they don't have the legacy problems that a lot of the guys had yeah, that fresh started. Power. Yeah. You think of a lender that, you know, is taking lines from a bank and that lender was lending at when LIBOR was, you know, 25 basis points or mm -hmm. SOFR was 25 basis points. And now it's at four or 5%. Like that's, that's a huge gap on them and they have to fund in money to their line lenders. And so. Interesting. David? Yeah, and then, you know, and, and other types of lenders, life companies have huge allocations, but they're just being very conservative yeah. right now. And so, you know, there's money out there, but it's how it's priced and how much. And, you know, we're not in a liquidity crisis like 08, 09, where there was just no money. Now it's just how it's priced, right? you know, and, 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 and the limits of a certain property, yep. meaning it's exit cap rate or cap rate today. Great. Um, anything else? No, I, I think parting words as we kind of wrap up here. Yeah, I, I think what I would tell people is just be cautious, but realize that if you want to get a deal done, you've got to take what's available in the marketplace. And I think that's what we're sort yeah. of all saying is that that the ideal isn't out there today, but there's still the right structure to make a deal work if you if you have the right advice and the right people working for you. Got it. Well, um, we will be recording these at least once a month and putting them mm -hmm. out there for all of you. Uh, please sign up for our FinFacts newsletter. We have thousands of people across the country that read that. Go to our website, you can sign up there. And, and if you wanna suggest a topic for a future podcast, or ask a question, 
let us know. Let us know. Hit us up on email or LinkedIn. You can find us at gspartners.com. We'll put the link in the show notes below. We're also distributed on a number of platforms. Those will be in the show notes below. Uh, finally, sign up for FinFacts. That's our weekly newsletter. It has amazing uh, articles and tidbits on a variety of topics across the market. You can sign up for FinFacts at www.gspartners.com. Reach out to any of us on our emails. Those are on our website and available. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about certain things on the top on the podcast, you can hit me up at least on LinkedIn and Twitter. Me you, too. Yep. Me three. Okay. All of us. Good.